This is a very small um, chapter, and yet it is loaded, absolutely loaded. And I'm, I'm praying, and I have been praying for some time now, that the Lord God of hosts would return and I would not teach this. <laughs> um, Tom read a text to you on Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel's commissioning text, they call it, Ezekiel 1. And he describes um, what put the passion into Ezekiel for his ministry. Uh, I've heard many people try to explain what that text says. It's a wheel within a wheel, and it sparkles, and there's an expanse, and there's a throne, and there's this, and there's this creature, and it moves, and when this creature moves, this thing happens, and all the rest of it. My best conclusion of it is, it is a, maybe a picture of a, a chariot that God's cruising in. All right? um, anyone who believes it completely understands that text is a fool. Um, what you have is a man who has shown something by God that cannot be put in words. And then God says, put it in words. And that is what our brother Ezekiel uh, was, uh, shall I say, motivated by. How motivated was Ezekiel? Well, if you read Ezekiel, you'll read a whole bunch of bizarre stuff laying on one side for way too long. And then once he's arrived at that, he lays on the other side for way too long. Why? Because there's a wheel within a wheel. And when the creatures move, this chariot moves. If it leaves the earth, it leaves the earth and God of glory is riding do you know the one that bothered me the most about Ezekiel? God took his wife and said, You shall not shed a tear. You shall preach my word. Grab that. You know what was amazing about that? He didn't shed a tear. And he preached God's word. Why? Because Ezekiel seen this thing, this picture, that he didn't debate. He said, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. This chapter in 1 Corinthians, you had better have a view of what God is. And if you don't, this text will hurt. Let me ask you a question. I, I, I look at all of you. Uh, we all live in our own little worlds. We all have our own little ins and outs of people that we deal with. Um, you know, I think we've got some who are in construction. We have some who are in high tech. We have some who are in the medical fields. Uh, we have some you know, who are still being educated, but we're, we're also in different parts of life. We have some who uh, are nearing retirement. We have some who should have retired years ago. We have some that uh, are just, their life is right in front of them. When you look at your life, ask yourself a question. When you look at everything that is going on around in your little sphere of work, how would you describe your society? Now, don't get spiritual on me. You're in church and all. Oh, 
I don't need that. I'm talking about you get up, some of you Monday through Friday, uh, 8 to 5, you go deal with whatever it is you deal with. Some of you have weirder hours than that, uh, and you deal with what you deal with. How would you describe your society as a whole? This is that interaction part. Irreverent? Okay. Pardon? Self-absorbed? Okay. Busy? Mm-hmm. Okay, busy. Indifferent? Anybody else want to throw something into the, to the mix? Superficial. Come on. I know. I don't go in society. <laughs> I just go through life with my eyes shut. I'm the one who makes everybody else's faith grow. <laughs> All right. Um, I grew up probably in my, what they would call my formidable years, were the 60s and early 70s. All right. And uh, we at that time had an attitude problem, meaning my generation had an attitude problem. But you know what's really cool about my generation? My generation is reaping the fruits of what we have sown. We've been very, very successful, I must say. Very, very successful. Um, this chapter 5 in the book to the church in Corinth probably is more adapted today than it would have been in 54 A.D. when it was dealing with the church in Corinth. Um, my generation um, basically came up with something that the Greeks had already known and already claimed, and that was that sex was only a natural function. It was a natural act. It was no different than if you were hungry, you would go out and get you a quarter pounder with cheese. If you were thirsty, you went and got you something to drink. It's just something that is part of the human response. We can look at our society and all that you have said is absolutely true, except for one thing. And I, and you know, and I'm curious because um, I, ha have you not read chapter 5? I mean everybody should have been realizing when I said last week hey I'm finishing up with chapter 4 where do you suppose I'm going next? Well sex sells did you know that? Everything everything I remember when I thought it was odd to see that sex was selling snap-on tools because I just, I don't understand that. <laughs> that woman's holding an offset ratchet, and she ain't got a clue what it's for. I can tell, because she wouldn't be dressed like that if she was about to use that tool, right? But I've seen sex sell weirder stuff than that now, and I'm sitting there going, tools is easy. You know, I believe sex sells tools. I'm not sure about the rest of this stuff. Um, I heard it described once, and I thought this was kind of comical by a man um, who who's actually in his early 60s. 
All right? In his early 60s, he's never seen an R-rated movie. Okay? And he basically construed our culture as barnyard morality. I think the barnyard would be insulted. Um, We have even gone to the point where the media has exalted deviant sex. Uh, Barnyard morality is uh, maybe the starting point, the commonplace. Uh, We have even made groups as ministries to certain lifestyles based on sexual behavior. Uh, Many of you have heard what is going on in the Episcopal Church, have you not? They have ordained an openly homosexual bishop for New Hampshire or Massachusetts or someplace, Vermont. I don't remember where it was. But you need to understand something. The Methodists have been doing this for years. They just don't get any publicity. Why? They don't want any. It's sort of like uh, don't ask, don't tell. Um, if you read articles today, and, I, and, and many there are, um, you know, and, and I, I can even take it to this point. Why are there singles ministries? Is there something different about reaching a single than there is a couple? I can tell you emphatically what the motive behind singles ministries are. And it ain't got nothing to do with the gospel. Okay? And if you don't believe me, then you meet me after church and I'll show you what singles ministries are for. There's only one reason. I read an article dealing with this uh, Episcopal church thing and uh, the ordination of a homosexual bishop who will have authority over the Anglican church in I forgot what state. And here is this defense. And I quote, how else can those people be reached? Unquote. That's our society. Okay? And of course, our society needs to be reached, doesn't it? How else are we going to reach the homosexual community? How am I going to reach single women? Well, of course, everyone knows single men. I uh, have had some dealings, and I brought this up. I don't want you who've labored with me for many years to try to figure out who these people are. I will give you some illustrations. These people have long since left this fellowship. Many of you will never know these, even if I told you who they were, so don't worry about it. But a young lady was very, very active in church, extraordinarily active in church, Knew her Bible well. Okay? Had been used greatly by God in her uh, high school years and her middle school years. Had done many, many things. And, and she prepared to step forward into the freedom of college. And she went to college. And she met a wonderful, godly man. Uh, uh, a tremendous man of God. Tremendous man of God. 
And they concluded that both of their loves for Christ was so great that we shall wed. But, economically, we need to understand that uh, we need to finish up our educations. So we get our educations and then we will wed immediately following college. But being that, we love each other and we love God. We shall live together to save expenses. And their response to my question on that was, it's okay in God's eyes. We are going to get married. I uh, shared in our um, leadership class. I said, here's, here's, a, here's a deal that you're going to have to deal with. Okay? A young couple comes to your church. They've been coming to church for some time now during the process of being exposed to the will of God. One of them comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All right? They, that one seeks you out, says that I want the things of Christ, I want the things of God. And then you find out that they're not married. And you bring that to that individual's understanding. They come back to you with this response. We're going to get married. Therefore, everything will be fixed. My question to the guys were, how do you deal with that? Um, Our society threatens the purity of our church. Did you know that? What you were saying, uh, shallow, um, self-serving, um, don't care, what? what? Yeah, all them things you heard uh, affects the church, is attacking the church. Are you aware of that? Let me ask you this. Are you sensitive to that? I've already looked at the first four chapters of this book, and basically it was wisdom that was causing division. Wisdom of man brought into the church that was overriding the authority of Scripture. And yet historically, if I go back, I can look at Israel, or I can look at the church, and it is difficult, and it always has been, for God's people to exist as the proverbial island in a sea of paganism and not be affected by the sea the battle um, that always is there to affect the church is happening in Corinth the church in Corinth the church is truly an island in a sea of horror Gardner said this, the waves of immorality were washing over this poor island, unquote. Corinth was an immoral society beyond your understandings. Unless you've done history on the city of Corinth, you can't guess what was going on there. Not only what was going on there, but what was promoted. So if I make this statement that Corinth was a society of immorality that was touched 
by God. The same God that Ezekiel saw in chapter 1 of, his, of the letter to, of Ezekiel. But here's the problem. The immorality was also touching the church. And here's what happens to the church. The, immor- the church sets in a society that is anti-God. And after a generation or so, you will always find, and I use the word always, you will always find that the people will become tolerant of the immorality. Anybody here like pain? And I got everybody's going no, and then the one couple of people with pain. I don't know. I, he's thinking he's got a secret trick here going. Do you know that pain is good? Did you know that? Because it brings attention to a problem. Right? All right? That, that's one of the horrors of uh, leprosy. Pain doesn't exist. So you literally can have a a, a shoe that doesn't fit and you can literally, in in walking, wear off your toe because the deadening of the nerves says it don't work. And you can wear it off and you don't know it until you take your shoe off and say, oh, cool, four. Right? But it doesn't hurt. But then you have the complications of what you've just done. One of our securities against sin is to be shocked by it. Is to be shocked by it. And you know what I can say with great confidence this day? In our society, in your society, it is extremely difficult to be shocked by anything. Um, I I wrote here nothing, then I changed it. Very little shocks us. I'm afraid to write nothing because, oh, Lord, what have I done now? Um, If you think about it, we are a a society that is media-driven. And uh, whatever the media is today, it has just flat out rolled over anything sexual. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's music. I don't care if it's the radio. I don't care if it's television. I don't care if it's movies. I don't care if it's art. I don't care if it's print. Print. I don't even care if it's the newspaper. Okay? Um, I grew up with I Dream of Jeannie. Okay? Barbara Eden. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Did you know that she was not allowed to show her belly button? Check it out. She's got them goofy genie pants on, and it comes up above her belly button, doesn't it? I am sick of seeing everybody's belly button now. There's a huge infatuation with belly buttons. Isn't there? Everywhere I go, someone's got, look, the belly button. I don't care. I... Am, am I wrong? 
It, you know, we got crop topped and then we went low pants. Why? Look, my belly button. Did you just discover that thing? I. Do you understand it? Do you understand why? I do. Why? I know it well. Why? My generation sowed the fields. This church in Corinth had some fighting and some quarreling going on. Divisiveness in the church. And it was based a lot on philosophical, uh, what I call intellectual sin, and personalities. People preferring other teachers versus other teachers. Uh, Intellectual ascension uh, was taking uh, pride and elevating it to a new place. And it was causing division. And that's what we've been looking at up until this point. Um, you know, this person, I like this person more than that person. This person's style of teaching is better than this person's style of teaching. So I'm going to hook my little wagon onto that person. Um, and I'll be honest with you, in my part in life at this point in time, I have to spend a lot of time looking closely at methods and philosophies of quote-unquote ministry. What is the motives that are behind these ministries, behind these systems? What is the motives behind these teachers? Okay, and all kinds of things, and I don't really want to get into it. A lot of it is purely deceptive. A lot of it is all man-generated. A lot of it has uh, men's egos that they lighting, want to propagate. Okay, But what we're going to have now is we're going to have a move from this intellectual um, sin uh, and these personality cult sin, and we will move into the flesh. Because here's one of the amazing things about sin. It doesn't exist in isolation. It doesn't exist in isolation. Where you find some kind of sin, you will probably find all other kinds of sin. Um, If a a people are walking in the flesh, it will manifest itself just about every way you can cut it. Uh, And now I'm going back to the church. I want to move away from our society because what we're dealing with is a church. Okay? So the divisions that the Apostle Paul dealt with in the first four chapters, uh, though impressive, he will now deal with immorality. Okay? Immorality in the Bible always has one connotation. Okay? We have immorality and we've morphed the words into just about anything we want to decide that we want to, in our piety to call it immoral. That's immoral. This is immoral. Um, immorality is always, always, always sexual. Sexual. Um, this church in Corinth actually had a sexual immorality that was shocking to the lost. Now that takes work. When the sin of the church shocks the world, you know you got a problem. Okay? And I use that and I say that because in the beginning verse there, verse 1, it says the New American Standard translates it actually reported. Um, literally what it means is it is universally known. 
You know what he's saying? Everybody knows it. If you were to pick out the foremost thing known about the first church in Corinth, the first thing that everybody would know about the church in Corinth is its sexual immorality. This is amazing because this is the same group that the Apostle Paul has chastened them because they're boasting about their teachers. And yet the community knows them for their sexual immorality. What is so amazing about that is you can't say the sexual immorality is based on ignorance. Why? Who are their teachers? You have Paul. You have a line of people from Peter, Cephas. You have Apollos, the only man that I've ever found in Holy Writ, who said he was eloquent in the word. Let me tell you something. If you say that Paul is the founder of your church, you're not looking at an amateur church. In spite of what they knew, in spite of the Holy Spirit in their lives... This phrase here, it is actually reported there's immorality among you. It's all in present tense, meaning that it is a continued, it is continued to allow immorality in the church. It's an ongoing, not a one-time, whoops, I stumbled thing. It is something that is practiced. Now listen. When I think about the church in Corinth, I think about a culture that saturates saturates the human being with sexual immorality to the point that it was actually sexual um, uh, immorality was actually touted as a form of spiritual closeness to deities. It was promoted. It was encouraged. All right, why? Well, it's part of the natural function. If you really want to have a spiritual thing, you really need to get involved sexually. It is a problem that I would say exists in the church in America. Because the problem is the basis of shedding of a lifestyle. Okay, we all, you've heard it, if you've been around Baptist circles long, I've been born again. Well, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But let's be realistic. I was born again at 26. Okay? Which means when I came out of the womb, the spiritual womb, I had a lot of extra. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of extra. And my king has been faithful to carve that from me. Yet... The church is to be united. And if the church is to be united, the church must strive for holiness and purity. And if the church is going to strive for holiness and purity, it has to say goodbye to immorality. To the point in chapter 6, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says to immorality, there's only one recourse. Flee. 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 The term that you see there that says immorality is the term porneia. It's the word that we get pornography come from. Some of your translations may call it fornication. Joseph, everybody remember Joseph? 
He had a little dealing with the side order of Pornea. And what was Joseph's response? Run away! Run away. <clears throat> Do you remember Balaam? The dude with the Tom's donkeys? Okay. We all remember about the donkey and he smacks the donkey with the stick and all the rest of it. But you know what we miss? He was approached to bring a curse upon the children of Israel, wasn't he? What was his response to the king who asked him to put a curse on the children of Israel? No, why? Balaam was smart enough to know those were God's people. Don't curse them, backfire. Right? He was asked again to put a curse on God's people. What was Balaam's response? You're not hearing me. Those are God's people. I'm not going to do it. What did Balaam do? He led them into immorality. Did you know that? Don't you find that interesting? Balaam's a prophet. Let me tell you something. Balaam prophesied Messiah. Don't you find that fascinating? I will not bring a curse against... I will not bring false teaching upon the nation of Israel because that's God's people. But I will lead them in sexual immorality. Guess what? Balaam was very successful. If you look at the word porneia, let me bring you one more example. King David. Huh? Take in the light of what I just shared with you about Balaam. All right? Balaam says, I'm not going to bring error to the nation of God's chosen people, but I will lead them in sexual immorality. All right? Then they had a king, David. What happened to him? Well, he stumbled. Okay, a little backsliding incident, all right, <clears throat> that caused him, well, we won't go there. But you know what is fascinating about David that I think is missing in the body of Christ? He said, uh, Psalm 51.4, against you and you only have I sinned. When you go sin, do you ever think that you're sinning against God? When you open rebel against what God's word has said, have you ever thought that maybe you're against you and only you I have sinned? Or do we do it secretly? Well, it's not that big a deal. Shh. It's not that big a sin. If you look in the Greek language, you can know a culture by its language, and the Greek language is an amazing culture. Porneia is any sexual involvement. Pornei is a harlot for hire. Pornas is a male harlot for hire. Okay, and it goes on. 27 words speaking of sexual immorality. But porneia is sort of like, let's cover it all. Okay, the umbrella term. Uh, it is not adultery. If your translation says adultery, it's a bad translation. 
uh, adultery is uh, M-O-I-C-H-O-S in the Greek. Okay? All sexual vice is under porneia. And you know what's cool about it? Well, I guess it ain't cool about it. What Rome said about Corinth is that, well, they, Rome was very generous. Corinth and Athens is the seat of the most immoral cities in the Roman Empire. And yet God touched Corinth. Religious practice involved sex. Um, it was considered spiritual. The Greeks had concluded that sex was nothing but a biological urge. Do you know what one of the things that was never reported in great detail about the Waco tragedy? We hear about the cult, the Divinians. It's a, it's a, it's a branch of uh, uh, actually Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they believe they are the line of David, the Davidians. Uh, do you, one of the things that they don't want to bring out, that the press didn't want to bring out, is the sexual involvement. Do you know that the women who were gathered there in Waco, Texas, Texas even if they had husbands, considered it a wonder of wonders and a privilege to have sex with David Koresh? And then Koresh could maybe even bless them with pregnancy. And yet, if you talk to the people, I've seen multiple interviews with the people, and they will tell you that the greatest thing that attracted them to David Koresh was how much he cared and loved them. Not my wife. (laughs) I don't care if you are, David. (laughs) I read the other part about your little problem, David. (laughs) Why would we be so enamored with that? Look at your culture. Look at what you grew up with. Let me share with you something that... uh, that hurts me. God's Word... God gave us sex, but he gave it to us as a sacred, holy thing. Sex is not looked at today as sacred. It's not. There are many of you who don't look at it as sacred. It is an act. What can we do to get off? We do it with our wives. We do it with our husbands. Do you not understand that the God of glory said this is a sacred thing that I have given you? That the point that a child of God who knows his word can say, I'm going to live with this man because we're going to get married in the future is a lie from the pits of hell. You have missed what God has graced you with. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22. You 
You know, the answer to the Kobe Bryant trial is right here in this very text. Did you realize that? Amazing, isn't it? Chapter 22, verse 13. If a man takes a wife and goes in with her and then turns against her, literally hates her is the the best Hebrew translation of that. Um, What? If a man goes in and he charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Listen, you need to understand something about God's word. When God writes his word, he never assumes impurity. Do you understand that? All right. God's impurity is a violation of God's assumption. God says, when a man and a woman come together for marriage, what is the point? They're virgins. Period. What's the qualifier? There are none. There are none. Look what he says. I found that she was not a virgin. Then the girl's father and mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders at the city gate. Now look what happens. God is not one of these who takes the man's side and says, this guy says you're not a virgin, you're out of here. Look what he says. Evidence is presented. All right. The girl's fathers shall say to the elders, I gave my, bo- my daughter to this man for a wife, but he turned against her. He hated her. And behold, he has charged her with a shameful deed, saying, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin, but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of the city shall take the man and chasten him. The man who brought the accusation is now the, the, the moment uh, is going to pay the price. Here's the price. Check this out. They shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father. Now, let me tell you something. That's like giving the national debt to your father-in-law. Okay, a hundred shekels of silver is an astronomical amount of money. And now you've got to give it to the daughter's father. But then look what happens. And he shall remain with his wife, and he cannot divorce her all his days. For bringing in a false accusation. Wow. You know what that tells me? This marriage bed thing is a little bit on the important side to God. Don't you think? If you bring the accusation that said, I married this woman and she's not a virgin and they can prove that it's a virgin, and I'm not going to get into that detail, but if they can prove that it's a virgin, then guess what? You just cost you about 10 years or better wages that you're going to give her father. Not only that, you can never divorce this woman, ever. And you ain't going to get breakfast in bed either. Okay? Not only that, you need to sleep with one eye open. But, verse 20, if this charge is true and the girl is found, was found not to be a virgin, 
Then they shall bring, the girl, bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death, because she has committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Now that may be the... the purge the evil from among you? What would happen to premarital sex if you did that one time? Huh? Ooh, 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 Not only that, I'm going monastic. Right? Why? God says it's a folly. Look what else he says. Verse 22, if a man is found lying with a woman, then both of them shall die. <laughs> Pretty, it doesn't say with the wife. It doesn't say adultery. Adultery, you've got a marriage situation. It says if a man is found in premarital sex, what happens? Kill him. Both of them. Now let me ask you a question. You can kind of base an idea of a crime on its judgment, can't you? That seem harsh? Why does it seem harsh? Were you there when the chariot came down upon Ezekiel? Your perspective says it's harsh. God says it's just. Why? Because it means more to me. Sex is sacred. It is so sacred that I have imposed the death penalty on it. That hurt you? It like to kill me. If it is adultery, look, let's read on. I'll show you some other stuff here. Verse 23, there is a girl who is a virgin, engaged, a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her. Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death. Wait a minute. This has rape implications. Why would you take this young virgin who got attacked by this guy and stone her to death? Anybody have a clue? I do. Key. In the city. If she was being raped, what would she do? Scream. If she screamed she's in the city, someone would come to her aid. Would they not? It says if she is raped. If you read on there, you'll see. You shall bring them out to the gate in the city and they'll be stoned to death. The girl because she did not cry out in the city. And the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, thus you will purge the evil. If it's in a field, the man finds a girl who is engaged, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. Okay? See what I mean? The answer to Kobe Bryant's trial is right there. But what has happened in our society with sex? It's not sacred. 
Do you see how God feels about that? Let me, let me just see if I can give you a different perspective. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? Raiders of the Lost Ark and all that, right? And they had these two big old poles that guys would pick it up and carry it. Why? What? Why couldn't you touch it? No, it's worse than that. You'd die. <laughs> right? You couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because God said, this is sacred. This is holy. You touch it, you will. Even when the guy who stumbled, and he did what? And what happened? He stumbled. What happened? He died. When Eli's sons went in to offer up an offering of, of incense to God, to worship, what happened? They died. Why? Well, part of it is if you look at the whole text and get the Hebrew stuff out, you'll find out that they had a little buzz on. Okay, they had been in the Hebrew wine a little bit. And we're going in and get spiritual with Jesus or God, right? And they died, right? Why? Because worship to God was sacred. The Ark of the Covenant was sacred. The writer of Hebrews says the marriage bed is sacred. God's law says this is so sacred that I have instilled a death penalty upon those who would violate this sacredness. Okay, I know. We're in an age of grace. We're in the New Testament. We're in the New Covenant. We are the body of Christ. We are free in Christ. We can do all of that stuff. All right, turn with me then to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6, I'll start. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That sounds logical, doesn't it? Um, They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither. What? Fornicators. All right? Those who would have sex outside of the bounds of marriage will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Nor idolaters, and we will look at this in depth in the months to come, that sexual intercourse outside of God's guidelines is idolatry. That is usually the motive that is behind it. But just in case, nor adulterers. Okay? Verse 10 says, Thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, Revelers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed by, but you were sanctified. You've been justified in the name of Christ. Okay? Well, I'm just, you know, you know, the old self, the new self, and all that other thing. Go to chapter 10, please. Chapter 10. Okay. This is dealing with some of the mistakes that Israel made. 
Verse 8, nor let us act how? You know what word that is, right? Pornea. As some of them did, and what happened? 23,000. So one of the things that you miss in the story about Mount Sinai, remember when he came down from uh, the law and had the Ten Commandments and copped an attitude because they'd made a calf and all the rest of it? Implied in that worship was sex, immorality, pornea. Okay? I give you that because I want you in 2003 in the area in which you minister that you might know how God feels about this activity. Okay? I just spent six weeks dealing with um, the heart of a spiritual father. The heart of a spiritual father is, is that I will warn you because of my love for you and I would ask that you'd be an imitator of myself. That's what Paul is telling this church in Corinth. But in doing that, I will, may have to come with you with love and gentleness, or I may have to come with you with a rod. See, the Christian attitude towards sex should be one of reverence. You know what? I get appalled at jokes about sex. It's like that. Fingers on a chalkboard. I carry a burden. I carry a scar that I would wish on no one. Because I had not adhered to my king's and my God's standard. I have forfeited blessings that I can't even grasp. And when I hear people make fun of it, it makes me angry. When I see people take it lightly... All I can think of is an idiot and a fool stands before me. Because my God says that there is a death penalty penalty for doing wrong in this way. Because the world doesn't see the sacredness of what God has given. We need to understand this because we need to understand there is discipline for immorality in the church. And it falls right on the heels of a spiritual parent. A spiritual parent I shared with you, that's that relationship. That's that I am so involved in you with you that I can see that you're getting ready to walk over here and start to play with something that God says is sacred. And my relationship with you is so involved that I can say, you better not do that. Why? Come, let me help you walk around that. Let me help you walk away from that. I know one another well enough to help prevent that immorality. We react at the immorality. We have failed. If we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ, I will be involved in your life in such a way I will keep you from the immorality. And I've done it in the past. 
And yet, what I have found is, what's so cool in America, is that I interceded, I know, in several different situations where I got in between a person and an immoral act. Okay? And they were repentant for a time. But what happened is, is they kind of just wander away from the fellowship. I kind of missed a couple of church services. I didn't get that Wednesday night service. And then I find out that you lost the sacredness of what God has given. See, if there is a concern about it among the brothers and sisters in Christ, then we were watching and we will see that it doesn't happen. If you are involved, we will listen. If we are involved, we will understand the frustration. I took a young man, and I will never forget it, and I, it's such a blessing in my life, and, and I, I rejoice because his wife is with child now. But he came to me and he says, I want you to hold me in such account that if you see me going to the left or to the right, you call me to it. And he would call me on a daily basis. He was struggling. He wanted a wife. He wanted a a, a family. He wanted everything that God had blessed. And he says, I struggle with this. And I said, bow before the king. Give your life solely to everything that Jesus Christ has given you. And one day you will be as Adam. You will wake up and go, whoa, man. Guess what? He committed. He got involved. We were in Bible studies together. He got involved with the finances of the church. He got involved with all the things of the body of Christ. He immersed himself in the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of the clear blue, he called me and said, Whoa, man, you have to meet Renee. And they, they dated for 30 days and were married. Okay, a year later, I'm heavy with child. Not Dan, but Renee. Okay, and then Dan, he's so tickled because what happened? The sacredness of the marriage bed was exalted and God blessed beyond anything he ever dreamed of. And he can walk around now about this high off the ground and his legs don't even move. Why? He heeded what the king said. And he was involved with me in such a way that I was a torment. Yet this church here, it is well known. Immorality is in their, their lives. I want to go back to the text quickly and we'll clean this thing up. Some things that you can see very quickly here because they're, I believe it, I've laid a solid argument for the need of discipline. But let me give you some more insight into your text. Okay. There are three things here that demand the Apostle Paul's intervention. Okay? First, and I shared this briefly, it's present tense. It's actually reported there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles. Okay? That whole phrase right there is present tense. It means it's ongoing. It's ongoing. Okay? Here's the second thing. This believer, this man is responsible for a divorce. He is responsible for stealing his father's wife. Okay? Why? It's fornication. It's not adultery. There's an ongoing sexual relations with this woman, and she is divorced. Because if she was still married to this man's father, it would be adultery. And it's not. 
So there's two things. It's continuing. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a stumble. It's also a divorce. And thirdly, there's the horror that this woman is not a believer. Why? Who is to be disciplined here? The man. I can't discipline the lost. Judgment begins in the house of God. God will deal with the lost. Let me show you a text that deals with it. Go to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, beginning in verse 6. None of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. Okay. When you see in the Hebrew, uncover nakedness, that in... Imp- see, God knows who we are. All right. You show skin, there's only one reason. Okay. Do you understand that? Why? I am... Baiting. I don't know. I am enticing. I am drawing into a sexual relation. That's what is being said here. You shall not approach a blood relative. Well, that takes rocket science. And of his, or to uncover the nakedness. All right? Look what it says. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. That is, the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You do not uncover her nakedness. You shall not, look what it says. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. All right? It's not saying mother now. He's already dealt with mother. So that would be stepmom. So that's not a blood relative. I can't consider that incest. God does. God does. All right? So they're in violation. Listen, the Roman government says you can't do it. At the time of the writing of this letter, it was considered a death penalty by the Romans. They didn't know who God was, but they said, you know what? That's just not normal. You know what? You see the same text in 22 of Deuteronomy. I'm not going to go there. But you know what? I I know what this is. I hear this today. Maybe not as desire and disastrous as this, but this is, I love you. That's all it is. I love you so much that I will cast every moral fiber and I will shut down the person of the Holy Spirit so I can fulfill my flesh. That's all it is. That's all it is. And they call it love. All it is is lust. This man has been taken over by lust. It has now taken complete handle of this man. And the church is tolerating it, tolerating this. The horror of this is, listen, the sin shocks the community of the lost. That's not what's shocking Paul. Paul's being shocked by the churches. Response to the sin. Look what verse 2 says, chapter 5. You have become puffed up. You have become like a big old bullfrog getting ready to croak. You are arrogant. You are boasting. Present tense. You are proud about this. You are continuing to boast on this. They're running around preaching on how they come behind and they boast. We come behind in no spiritual gift. 
We come behind in nothing. We have the Apostle Paul have taught us. We have had Apollos has taught us. We are the grand poobahs of Christianity and they're boasting that sexual immorality of a kind that is shameful to lost people and they are boasting of that also. It's pride. They're bragging on their wisdom. They're bragging on their and how spiritual they are. They become behind in no gift. They are always speaking in tongues. They are claiming great things from God. Look what God has done. And all I can think of is the great profound statement, Houston, we have a problem. Paul says, you have not mourned instead. That term there, mourn, in the Greek, it has to do, it's the same term used of mourning for the dead. It literally means to, to, to plaster your face in the ground in weeping. He says, what has happened here, you should be on your face weeping. And you're boasting. Uh, but you don't understand. In Christ's love, this young woman, she's not saved. We have a believer. He's taking care of it. We can't condemn her. God may be drawing her into the community. This person, this young woman, this woman who has fallen into this divorce and into this sexual immorality, how will she see the love of Christ? Listen, pride misses the cancer that's eating the body, right? You know why men die of prostate cancer? You know why? Do you know what it entails for a man to go and be tested for prostate cancer? I'm dying of prostate cancer, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> All right. Do you know what a man has to do? All right. What would keep a man from doing that? Intelligence. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Why? Pride. Pride says, I don't care if I've got cancer. I'm not going to let you do that to me. Who thought that up anyway? Anyway. Pride misses the cancer that will destroy Pride makes us secure when we shouldn't be secure. And Paul is amazed at the arrogance of the pride of these people. See, listen, when a church gets to the place where it doesn't mourn over sin, that church is on its way out. Okay, now listen, we mourn over the president of the United States, ex-president saying, I did not have, you know, remember? We all can't believe it. And then when he comes off and says, well, that wasn't sex. We mourned over that. We pitched tizzies. What are you going to do in the body of Christ when it comes to your face? What are you going to do in the body of Christ when you have a brother or sister that you care about desperately and you see them walking down this way? I ask myself this. Is this the edge of disaster or is this the disaster? Has this church in Corinth gone to the edge of disaster because they're puffed up about it? Or our disaster has 
grab them. When we are ceased to be shocked by sin, you have lost your defense. I don't care anymore. Let me tell you something. Do you understand that it was sin that killed Jesus? And if sin doesn't shock you, then you need to go back to Calvary. Why? Because the heart of a spiritual father says that I love you so much that I'm willing to warn you. I want you to be an example. I will teach you. But don't forget, I will bring the rod if it is necessary. Let me explain something to you, brothers and sisters. Church is not getting up on Sunday morning. Do you know that? Making a Sunday school class or teaching a class or being in a choir. It's uh, that profound statement, it is not sermonettes for Christianettes. It's not some cute, witty little story that makes us all giggle. He, that was cool. I like that. Oh, that illustration was so phenomenal. We are here, and it should be each of us, to be involved in your life. Involved in your life. And I'm not talking about let's go have a barbecue. I'm talking about your pain, your suffering. I'm talking about your temptations. I'm talking about your trials, your tribulations. To make sure that the church of God is what God intended her to be. Why? You know my responsibility for a holy God is to lift up the bride of Christ as a holy and chaste virgin? Some of you make it difficult. You're hard to do it when I don't know where you're at. And let's be realistic. Should I be driving around trying to find where everybody's at? Should I be trying to call everybody, trying to find out what they're doing? It is the responsibility of the body of Christ to know who the elders are. Why? Because if you get to know me well enough, you can't get mad at me. Well, you can't. Involved... In holiness, in purity. If we, if I have someone and then I find out that there is immorality, I will deal with it. Okay? I have done it privately on several occasions. And on one occasion in this body of Christ, with non-repentance, we have brought it forth publicly. But I've done it... I, you know, is it, is it sort of annoying to me? If we, as small as we are, and I know five cases right now that I've had to deal with in this body of believers, what's big churches doing? You know, we got five pastors in Casserock community who have left their wives on sexual immorality, and in three cases, the church's response is the same as the church in Corinth. And these are normal evangelical churches. These are not some kind of doodah, wackety-woo churches. Sin in the body should fill us with grief. We get mad at President Clinton. Why? How do you expect him to act? Does that surprise you? I don't understand why that surprises people. I would have been surprised had it not happened. That would have surprised me. But what do we do in the body of Christ? Well, if I'm loving, I won't say nothing. Really. You would take that that is so sacred by God and ignore it in another person's life. 
where there's immorality, there needs to be discipline. Ananias and Sapphira had some immorality, didn't they? They rebelled against God, didn't they? Not necessarily sexual, but they were against God. What was the testimony of the church after God dealt with their their rebellion? What did the community say? Well, they've got some great special music. No, what was it? Don't go there. Why? They deal with sin very seriously. And it says that Jerusalem did not take the preaching of the apostles lightly. And the reference there is directly to lost Jerusalem. Lost Jerusalem says, Oh, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. If you know there's immorality, it is your responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ to go to that person. You do it quietly. Uh, Matthew 18 lays it all out. It should be coming, be causing you to mourn. If you know of a sinful brother or sister, that sin should cause you grief. It should cause you heartache. And if, you, if they refuse to repent of that sin, then they should be excommunicated. They should be set outside of the body of Christ. Listen, in my experience is, is when I confront this, they will either return or they will run. And if they run to another church in this community, it's no big deal because it's simple. But I just go to that church and tell them why they left mine. Why? I'm supposed to do that. Kick them out? You kick them out of the church? But I thought we were supposed to grow the church. Well... You know, if you kick them out and they're, they're non-repentant, isn't it better that they be in the church? Listen, let me tell you something about that individual. They're not going to do a bit of good for the church. Kick them out. Matthew 18 says you should treat them as tax collectors. Need I say more? Don't we all love tax collectors? If you don't care about them so much right now, you will in April. Let me ask you a question. I'm done. Do we see the need for discipline? How common is this today? We have Greek texts and lots of seminaries and all this other stuff. How common is this? Castle Rock area is not that big. We use really cool names for it now, though. Well, they just sort of have a problem with pornography. Really? Is that what we're saying? Well, you know, it's a worldwide web thing. Really? Listen, I'm on the worldwide web. I don't have any problem with it. That's what D-E-L-E, you know, delete means. Delete. Why? Because it's sacred to my God. The churches that I shared with you that had pastor problems, they didn't handle it right. Why? 
they have missed what the sacredness of sex is. And it has become a joke. Brothers and sisters, don't miss what God offers in the relationship between a man and a woman because you think you have it figured out because you no longer consider it something sacred. Father, I praise you for your word. Lord, I pray that you have taught. Father, my heart is heavy. Father, I praise you for the privilege you have given me to be in your word. Father, I praise you for the amazing things you have shown me. Father, I beg your forgiveness for all the shame that I have brought. My king, there is none adequate for this task. Father, let me walk worthy. Let me walk holy in your power. Let me walk in a way that I shall never shame you again. And Father, may these precious souls not step into this. Father, may they not fall to bring shame unto you. And Father, may we be so involved in each other's life that we act as a places of rest, as handrails, shoulders to lean on, hearts to confide in, and lives to invest in. To your praise and your glory, only and solely to you, my King and my Savior. Amen.